What a great night for all of us and what a great night for families and kids. I know we have more kids in this room than we normally do when the pastor preaches and I am glad that you are here and I know you are excited. I know the expectation is building up and for some of you, you'll go to grandma and grandpa's house tonight and you open gifts for some of you. It'll happen tomorrow, but just hang on, all right? Just hang on. I know that expectation's high. For parents, all right? Parents, I know you have expectations as well. Parents, you have expectations that tomorrow morning will be beautiful and it will be peaceful and joyful, but we know the reality doesn't meet the expectations sometimes, right? I found this article this week and I couldn't help but laugh. And I came home and I read it to Sheree. It's about, uh, it's titled Christmas Morning with Kids. Expectations versus reality. And parents, see if this doesn't hit home with you. If your kids are out of the house, maybe you remember parenting or, or kids, maybe you remember your moms and dads this way, all right? Uh, this was written by a mom, and she says, Years of flipping through Christmas catalogs and my recent perusals of holiday Pinterest boards have led me to imagine Christmas morning with my children as a series of Rockwell-esque moments set to a soundtrack of Josh Groban carols. Now, if you don't know who Josh Groban is, we can talk afterwards, all right? It's okay. He sings pretty. I'm sure lots of parents have certain assumptions about how opening gifts with kids on Christmas morning will be something you never forget. And that's probably true. <laughs> Just not for the reasons you would imagine. Here's a look at the realities of Christmas morning with children. And there are a couple of things here, but I'm just going to read uh, one or two. Expectation. You will tiptoe into your children's bedrooms to wake them up with a Merry Christmas and a great big hug. And then you open the curtains to see the world as a glittery, snowy winter wonderland before donning, coordinating bathrobes to go downstairs and open presents. You think of that, right? Today you open the window, you see nothing but fog and rain, I promise you. <laughs> reality, reality. You are awakened in the dark by the blur of a child who is chanting, Get up, get up, it's Christmas! So loudly that the baby wakes up and starts to cry. You look at your clock and you see it's not even six in the morning. As you put on an old hoodie, you detect an odor in the air that is nothing like cinnamon, pine, or anything else remotely seasonal coming from your youngest. You throw a mismatched top and pair of pants on her because they are the first clean things you lay hands on and you let, you let your oldest drag you down the stairs. Isn't that true? That's how it's going to work for some of you tomorrow. Let me read you just one more. Expectation. I like this one. Your children will love every gift they receive. You laugh. <laughs> And your older child will be especially thrilled when they open the box, clearly marked from you with the toy they've been begging for since Halloween. And once they are no longer immobile with great joy, they will fling themselves into your arms to say thank you. And you will be so overcome with the emotions about what a good person they are growing up to be, right? That's what we long for. Here is, here's the reality. The baby won't be able to do much more than gnaw on the edge of a box. 
And when you do manage to help her unwrap something, she has little to no interest in the new toy. Though she will take the empty box, thank you very much, you realize you could have wrapped her existing toys to the same effect and saved yourself the money as she has no blooming idea what is happening. You completely miss seeing your older child open his big gift because you were too busy wrestling some tinsel out of the baby's fist. And when you prompt him about his big gift and ask if he's excited, he says, yeah, sure, thanks, and acquiesces to your request for a hug while barely looking up from his new prize, you try to temper your disappointment over his reaction by focusing on the fact that he seems happy. So, it's time to grab a giant trash bag to deal with the paper monster that's eaten your living room, and the break is over. Back to your regularly scheduled parenting duties, hopefully with a fluffy new robe to wear. Isn't that good? <laughs> Expectations and realities of Christmas and of parents. But as we think of the Christmas story, can you imagine the expectations of Joseph and Mary for their son? You know, the expectations that I will impose on my kids tomorrow morning and you will impose on your kids tomorrow morning really are to serve ourselves. We, we want it to, to feel good for us. Yeah, we love our kids, but for us. But when God came to that little teenage girl and that young man and said to them, you are the ones. I'm sure they had all kinds of expectations on their own but nothing like the expectations that God would give to this couple. The scriptures spell it out for us. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Mary had gone to see her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was older, and she couldn't have a child, but suddenly, uh, because of the Lord's grace and mercy, she had a child. And, and, and so while she was pregnant, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and and they begin to talk about what is happening. And Mary, uh, while she is informing Elizabeth about what's to come, she recounts for us, and Luke recounts for us, the expectations that God has for this son. The angel comes and says to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you imagine, ladies, receiving that news? He's going to be great. In fact, he's the greatest of the great. In fact, he, his name is going to be called Jesus, which means to save. He is a savior. He is going to save his people. He is going to be this incredible political, cultural figure that's going to walk onto the world stage and he will save his people. This is your son. Now, can you imagine Joseph when he receives a similar word? Not at the same time, but he sees that Mary is pregnant and he's figuring out, what do I do? She claims that she hasn't had any kind of relationship with any other man, and, and, and yet she's pregnant, so do I divorce her? Do I do it publicly? Do I do it privately? And an angel comes to Joseph and listen to the expectations that God puts on his son through this father, Joseph. It says this in Matthew chapter 1. You, Joseph, will call his name Jesus, the same name, Savior, for he will save his people from 
their sins. I think they got the point. Folks, if you're, if you're about to have a child and you're wondering about the name, and if an angel comes to, to you, Mom, and an angel comes to you, Dad, separately from heaven, and they say, name him this, go with that name. That's probably a good sign, all right? Savior. He will save his people. But Joseph, here's a spiritual, spiritual uh, uh, aspect of his life. He will save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph and Mary recognize that, that he is the Messiah. He, he is the anointed one. He is the one that has been, been prophesied and promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the people have been longing for this anointed one to come and save the people of God because they are oppressed. In fact, there is this strong connection between Joseph and Mary and what they were experiencing under Roman oppression and what the prophets talked about to the people hundreds of years earlier when they promised that the Messiah would come. There's this connection of oppression and a longing to be free and to be saved. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Mary, and it sounds so similar. Listen to this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. I always wondered, what does that mean for our government to be on his shoulder? It simply means that one day this son will wear the robes, the kingly robes of power, and he'll wear it on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. For he will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see similar language between Isaiah, 700 years before Mary and Joseph, but it's the same thing. A son will be born who will save his people. But here's the question. Save them from what? Save them from, from what exactly? If you're Joseph and Mary, your first answer is to save us from the oppression of the enemy, from, from Rome, from, from, from the Caesar, from, from the emperor, from the, from the ones who will tax us and the ones who, who, who will enslave us. Isaiah might say the same thing. Isaiah might say um, in his day, as we've just studied over the last few weeks here at Taylor's, uh, in his day it would be the Assyrians who, who come down and oppress the people and enslave the people. And so Isaiah and Joseph and Mary are probably looking for this political military ruler to come on to come on the scene and overthrow the enemies. And yes, that will one day be true. But it's more than death. It's more than just a, a physical enemy that you can see. What had happened to the people of God was that the oppression from the enemy had crushed their souls. And they no longer believed there was hope. They were longing for someone to come and save them. And it's just like you and me. You see, it, it, it doesn't change, even though we might not be physically oppressed, even though we as a people live in the greatest nation on earth, the freest, most wonderful place on earth, we still experience the same things that the people in Isaiah's day longing for a Savior, the people of Joseph and Mary's day waiting for the Messiah to come. We experience in our hearts the very same things that they do, and we long for a Savior. 
For instance, let me give you just a couple, and then we'll be done. Whenever Mary and Isaiah would describe their need, they talked about being hungry. In a society like, like, like the Jewish society back then, food was everything. Many of us will, will walk out of here, and, and you have dinner reservations, you have dinner plans, you, and, and we, we don't think about going to eat, but for the people of God, food and drink and the harvest celebration, these were signs of God's incredible blessing on the people. But when they were oppressed by their enemies, the blessing and the joy and the celebration was gone because they were deprived of their food. They were, they were hungry. Mary talks about the hungry will be filled because the Messiah has come. Isaiah told the people, there's coming a day of judgment where you will no longer be able to celebrate and eat like you have. And in our souls, we often feel deprived. There's something inside of us that you long for, that, that we need, and you this, this evening have been deprived of that. Maybe it is food. Maybe you are hungry. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's health. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something emotional, but you've been deprived of that, and you're longing in your soul for someone to save you. Save them from what? Save them from being humiliated. You see this in Isaiah's passage, you see this in Mary's passage, this thought of the humble and the humiliated, those who are in a position that they never envisioned themselves being in, and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed. For the people of God, the prophets would make it very clear. It's because of your waywardness, because of your rebellion, it's because of your sin, but maybe for the godly, who were humiliated by the oppressors, by Rome, by the other nations. Maybe it's, they thought God was unfair to them. Maybe you're here this evening when you walk in ashamed of where you are. You're humiliated, you're embarrassed because of something that happened to you this year, because of something that's going on in your life. Because of something you're hiding. And you're longing for a savior. The people were enslaved. They were enslaved to these four nations. They were burdened and captured by these foreign powers. And we too in our souls can be enslaved. Um, every single one of us. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not. You will battle continually until the day you get to heaven, you will battle with being enslaved by sin. Now, sin shouldn't have power over you. Romans says that. But we struggle with being captured by, by our sin or captured by someone or captured by something that, that burdens us, that locks us down, and we're oppressed. Fear. All, all throughout the scriptures, the people are fearful because of this. They, they are afraid of what's to come. There's an uncertainty because of themselves or in spite of themselves or because of the enemy or because of all these things. There is great fear. And over and over in the scriptures, we hear the refrain, do not be afraid. Do not fear. God is with us. Emmanuel is to Assure us, regardless of our fears, that He is here. But this is what burdens and captures our hearts, is fear and then our sin. 
Our sin is what causes us to be oppressed, which causes us to run from God. Our sin is really the source of our distance from God. So all of these things, the the people of God in Mary and Joseph's day, the people of God in Isaiah's day, and you and me, we all in some form or some fashion deal with these things every day. But here's the amazing news of Christmas. Christ has come to break into these things and to overcome them. And it's easy for us at Christmas time to go right from the manger to the throne, to go right from the incredible gift of the baby to incredible glory of heaven. We, before we walk out of here today, we will stand and the choir will lead us in the hallelujah chorus. And we will sing about the glory of the Lord God, omnipotent, who reigns, all-powerful. But before we get to the glory, and here we are celebrating the manger, But before we get there, and we have all this stuff that we've just talked about, we have to talk about how Jesus came to save us from this stuff. And the way that Jesus came to save us from our hunger, and from our humiliation, and from our slavery, and from our fear, and from our sin, is Jesus coming in that manger, living a life in which he would take every single one of those things on himself. Before he takes on the government upon his shoulder, he takes on your flesh and my flesh upon himself. And he walks through every single one of those things to identify with you and to save you. He became hungry. There's this great passage in the New Testament where Paul's dressing the church and he's urging them to give and then he just stops in the middle of it and he says, listen, church, He says, uh, you need to look at Christ. And for your sakes, he was incredibly rich, but became poor by coming to earth in a manger, walking this life, going to a cross. He became poor. He became deprived so that you might be made rich. He, He was hungry and deprived so that you could be saved. He was humiliated. There's no greater humiliation for a Jewish man, none, than for an enemy like Rome to hang you naked on a cross. And he was incredibly humiliated as he lived this sinless life and he walked to the cross and they hung him there. He, he he, He was called a slave He came to this earth um, giving up heaven, and it says in Philippians chapter 2, he took the form of a slave. He took the form of someone who was underneath serving lowly for you and for me. You want to talk about fear? You want to talk about fear? Go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is about to go to the cross and die for you and die for me, and there he is crying, weeping, Blood coming from, from the, the, the sweat, just coming down because he was so fearful. Father, he said, if there is any way, Father, if there is any way that I don't have to go there, 
then please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go there, but I will for you. And then your sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, He who knew no sin became your sin, became sin for us, took it on him so that we might be the righteousness of God. So here's where I want to end this evening. We're going to worship and we're going to continue to sing and you're going to go home and you're going to have a, have a wonderful time. But here's the most important thing you will hear this day. And it's this. God loves you incredibly so. And he knows if you're hungry, humiliated, <coughs> fearful, enslaved, and full of sin. He knows that. That's why there's Christmas. And that's why there's a cross. That's why there's a road to him taking on all of these things so that when you open your heart and open your life to him, he enters into your life by his spirit and he transforms you. Now, all those things don't go away immediately, but you're changed. And some of you this evening, here's my prayer is that you come face to face, not just with the baby, not just with the one we will sing about who reigns forever and ever, but the one who hung on the cross for you. And my prayer is that you will trust him. For the follower of Jesus, this week's always a week where it's so familiar, but I pray that there's new hope. I pray there's this incredible new hope and understanding what God has done for you in Christ. And you will walk through every single one of those things. You're not immune as a follower of Jesus from those things. It's just you have Emmanuel, God, with you, walking with you through him. For the follower of Jesus, I pray this evening is one of great hope. For the one who does not know Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a second. I pray it's one of new life. Will you pray with me right now? Here's what I want to do. I just simply want to walk those of you who are here this evening who have never, ever trusted Christ fully. I, I just want to walk you through that because I'll never, ever get an opportunity to speak to this crowd again. And I know there are people here who do not know Christ. If you do not know him and you want to know him and you want to know this Christ and you want to draw closer to him and you want to be set free from your sin, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And, and, and you don't have to say these exact words. There's nothing magical about this. But from your heart, as best as you can, quietly, silently, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. You just, you just, you just cry out to God. Say something like this. Oh, Father in heaven, I know that I have run from you. I know I am distant from you. I know in my selfishness and in my sin, I am incredibly apart from you. Will you forgive me? And I, I, and I run from my sin, and I run to you. And if you love me that much, 
And you moved heaven and earth to send your son for me. I open my heart and my life to you. Will you save me? Will you call me your son? Will you call me your daughter? Will you forgive my sin and make me clean? And will you give me new life from this day forward? And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Here's what I want you to do, and we're going to sing in just a second. Here's what I want you to do. If, if you said that prayer this evening, I want you to grab that bulletin, and at the very bottom, I just want you to put my decision down here, and you might want to check that, or maybe there's another decision you need to make, all right? If you can find a bulletin, if, if, you, if you need a slip of paper, you, you might just want to write it on that, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to leave it in your seat. Get up, we head out, and the deacons are going to help the pastor, and we're just going to go by, and we're just going to look and see if anyone prayed to receive Christ, if anyone needs help, all right? So you do that. You fill it out. You leave it there on your seat, and we'll let the Lord continue to do amazing things through us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the son. He's been given, and we're grateful. We pray it in his name, in Jesus' name.